church, help establish us as a mission church on South 51st and Avenue M. Brother Clay Burns was the first pastor, and I wanted to share that history with you, the present pastor of Memorial Baptist Church. To God be the glory, great things he has done. You know, it's an amazing thing that we can celebrate with them the fact that they have been there 70 years as a mission church of this sponsoring church. And what I want to tell you is that church planting is in our DNA. It goes way back. It's not something that's just Johnny come lately and here we are. This church has been involved in kingdom work and mission work all of its existence. And it's part of who we are. And I just want to thank you for that because I know that there's other opportunities coming up. Uh, coming forth to plant churches not only in this area but really all over the world. And so being a part of that is huge. I want to ask you this morning, are you ready for some truth? We like truth, don't we? We're going to continue in our, our passage in, in Matthew chapter 5 from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And um, I've entitled this one, Oh, Be Careful Little Mouth What You Say. Because I think that's very important in our day and time. You know, Jesus said it wasn't enough to avoid certain external sinful behaviors. We also need to honor God with our, our thoughts, with our motives, with our attitudes you know, those, those inward things that only God can know about us. No one else can see them, but God does. Matthew 5 contains six comparisons between this external performance and this internal obedience that God desires. And really, that's the point of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You know, over the past few weeks, we've talked about three of these comparisons. Just a, a real quick uh, recap here. First, we talked about anger. Jesus said it's not just the external behavior of murder that's wrong. It's also wrong to maintain unresolved anger towards another person. That inward stuff. Second, we saw that Jesus taught it's not only against the law to commit adultery, to cheat on your spouse. That's against the law, but it's also against the law just to entertain the desire to have an affair with someone else. So it goes deeper. It's not just what the law says and what the law requires. It's our obedience inwardly to God that really matters. It's really part of that. It, it, he takes it a step deeper. Last week we talked about divorce. And although the, the Bible allows for divorce, God's intention is that we remain faithful to the spouse that we've, we've been given even when things get difficult. We need to understand that. Anger goes beyond murder. Adultery goes beyond the act. And divorce isn't God's plan. God's plan is for man and woman to be united for a lifetime together. That's his plan. Today we're going to talk about the fourth of these contrasts as Jesus teaches us about truth. And just as he did in the previous subjects, Jesus begins with what his followers already knew by telling them the truth from the Old Testament. 
And, and it seems a little anticlimactic, if you will, that after all of the discussion that we've already read about in, in Matthew 5, you know, where it's talking about um, uh, murder and adultery and eye-plucking and hand-lopping, you know, it, it seems kind of anticlimactic here when the issue that he's addressing goes very right down to the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you count him as your Savior and Lord, Jesus is telling us something here that we need to hone in on. Because he's saying, if you're following me, this needs to happen. Now understand what he's saying here. Let's read together in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. This is what the Word of God says. It says, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told... You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Your promises, your vows. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Loving Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for how it challenges us. And Father, we pause right now just that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds. Holy Spirit, that you would show us the truth, that you would guide us in that, that you would fill us, Father, with your truth. Lord, we love you. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and minds, examine our hearts, show us if there's inconsistencies in the way we are living. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. See, we live, we live in a culture in which the truth is often the first casualty of interactions between people. I mean, we have an incredibly elaborate system of lawyers and contracts and notaries and binding signatures to ensure that we will do what we say we will do, or at least it's when it's perceived to be important enough. <laughs> and you know what? None of these makes people any more truthful. Just because we have all of these systems in place, people still are, are not truthful in their dealings with others. In fact, a great number of people don't even believe truth is an objective reality. So how can they be accountable for that? See, we live in a world of words. Think about how many words come to you each day of your life. Thousands of words occur in daily conversations. Even in the course of this sermon, this message, you're going to be, hear about 1,700 words. Oh, come on, preacher, cut it up. You can do better than that, I know, shave it down. Thousands of words occur to us every day. Many printed words come to our eyes in many forms. Radio, television bombard us with words. And in some cases, words have become meaningless. They don't mean anything to us. Jesus, he placed a pro pronounced importance on his followers' use of words. 
I mean, Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount here of the higher righteousness of his followers. That, that his followers, that he said, you have heard it was said, but I say to you. And he, he's taken it a step deeper. Six times he quoted the provision of the law. And six times he said, but I say to you. Let's not forget who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the God-man. He is fully God and he's fully man in one person. The incarnation of God. God in the flesh. See, we tend to forget that sometimes. Well, Jesus said, no, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, our Lord and Savior said. It's important, the things that Jesus said and what he taught us. He placed this pronounced importance on that. And, 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 and an oath, he says here, an oath is the promise someone makes when he swears. When he swears. Now today, right here in church, we're going to talk about swearing and cursing. I know some of you probably think, oh, great. Some of you are like, yeah, we need to talk about that. But I remind you, interestingly enough, Swearing and cursing have come to mean using profane or vulgar language. That's not what those words have always meant. But both swearing and cursing were originally meant to validate the truth of a statement. In other words, if you made a statement like, I did not steal your cow, you might swear that you didn't steal that person's cow. They would validate the truth of a statement or they would validate the certainty of a promise like the vow made to the Lord. Okay? The certainty of a promise. So swearing and cursing are two different methods of validation. Now swearing an oath, if you, if you were to swear an oath, you, you do so by invoking a greater witness. Now I'll give you some examples of this. Sometimes people will say, well, by God, I'm going to do it. They're, they're quoting, they're, they're, sort, you know, they're, they're invoking a greater witness. Or you've heard people say it, and I have too, as with God as my witness. You're invoking a greater witness. You're swearing that. Now, uh, you can also say something like, you know, I swear on my mother's grave. A greater witness. Now, mom, please don't take offense at that if you're listening. Cursing, on the other hand, that's swearing. Cursing does so by invoking dire consequences. So swearing is invoking a greater witness. Cursing is invoking dire consequences. You know, we may say something like, may this happen to me or to you if this isn't true or I don't do it. Or maybe you've heard this one. God help you if you are lying to me. Or what about this one? I cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Dire consequences. See, oaths were corrupted in order to allow for deception. I mean, unfortunately, whenever there's room for a loophole... Most people will find it. By the time we get to Jesus' day, people had found a way to actually use 
these oaths in order to lie. You know, when I was a kid, I heard this. My promise didn't count because I crossed my fingers. See, I said that to you, but my fingers were crossed, so that means that I don't have to make good on that promise. That's exactly what they were doing in Jesus' day. And understand, it was an abuse. It was an abuse of the truth. Matthew 23, verse 16, Jesus says this. He says, verse, uh, chapter 23, verse 16 and following, he says, Woe to you, blind guides. Blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering. Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears by both the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. See, the point of the Old Testament was to say that we should fulfill our promises, that we should fulfill our oaths because we should always be honest. Not make promises and cross our fingers so that we can get out of them. See, the Pharisees interpret it to mean that only only if you made an oath did you have to tell the truth. See the abuse? Therefore, we don't have to be honest. I I didn't make a promise, so I don't have to be honest about it. But you see, even then, it only had to be a certain kind of oath. And that's not what God meant at all. See, in regard to conversation, the law said, no false swearing or promises. And Jesus said, no swearing or promises at all. Let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. See, he discussed the matter of a Christian's conversation by a matter of these noticeable contrasts. On the one hand, you have an observation of the world's conversation. I mean, in Jesus' day, the world had its own distinctive conversation. Few people told the truth. Oaths were common because, well, people were habitual liars. So in, in order to be believed, they had to make an oath. They had to swear an oath about it in order for people to believe them. And the Jews, they became very fond of oaths. And some oaths involved the name of God, and and they were said to be binding. Well, if you invoked God's name, then then that's binding. But if you swore an oath and you didn't use God's name, well, that wouldn't be binding. But Jesus carried Christian conversation much further when he emphasized that every word a person speaks should be 
truthful. Should be truthful. You see, not everyone tells the truth. More particularly, people tend to make what Mary Poppins called pie-crust promises. It's hard to say, pie-crust promises. She said they're easily made and easily broken. Because of that, we sometimes don't believe people when they say they will do something. But now if they swear by it, that usually means something more to us. It means something more reliable, more believable. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Then shake the secret handshake, you know. Pinky promise. Means you're going to actually do it. We're trying to get some more validation. See, that's the function of oaths. They're to demonstrate honesty. Think about it for a minute, the way our world works. In business, in the courts, many other places. The world's speech, what the world is saying, is exaggerated and it's extravagant speech. We see it every day around us. Also, the world employs all kinds of uh, speech that represents other kinds of falsehood. I mean, sadly, we link our words with the name of God in order to attempt to affirm the truth of what we have said. I mean, how many times have you heard somebody say in a frivolous way, I swear on a stack of Bibles? They might be talking about changing a bicycle tire and they say, I swear I did it on a stack of Bibles. Frivolous. Using God's word to validate what they are saying. Even more serious in our day are the glib oaths that in, in, involve the title of God in them, such as honest to God. I swear to God it's true. You've heard people say it, and so have I. See, taking an oath of any kind is a solemn thing, and God's name should never be used in a frivolous manner. I mean, the world uses selfish speech as well. People speak harmful words of criticism to one another. Just caustic words that, that come out and they really don't care that they are another person that is created in the image of God. And so quickly, we just pour that acid out onto that other person. Wanting to ruin their reputation, wanting to ruin their life in some way because of something silly or stupid or we think Maybe they're stupid. But we do that. Our society does that. Our world does that. This kind of conversation does not fit with followers of Jesus Christ. This kind of action does not go with our commitment to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See... Our conversation as a believer in Jesus Christ is in direct contrast to that of the world. It should be different. It should be noticeably different. See, on the other hand, you have a revelation of, Christians, of a Christian's conversation. We see revealed what a Christian's conversation should look like. See, Jesus eliminated the whole matter of swearing. 
of taking an oath, of making promises. When people take an oath, they think they are putting themselves in the presence of God. When they say things like, God is my witness, all of a sudden they're putting themselves in the presence of God. They think they are. But we need to understand something. We are always in the presence of God. We are always in the presence of God. Everything that we say matters. Jesus is saying, don't make these promises. Don't swear these oaths. Don't use my name. Just tell the truth. Be truthful. Be honest in what you're doing. See, I I love this because we are always in the presence of God and Jesus gave us a divine revelation about our conversation that don't swear by heaven because that's God's footstool. That's his throne. Don't swear by the earth. That's his footstool. He owns it all and he's with us all the time. Don't say God is my witness. He's already your witness. Just tell the truth because that's really what we ought to be about Jesus presented the idea that his followers spoke in the presence of God. Not just in this church building, but wherever we go, we are in the presence of God. See, out of this revelation of the presence of God, Jesus laid down the principle of pure truthfulness. Truth on the lips and truth in the heart. The simple, unvarnished, unembellished, yes or no, will suffice. See, the Christian's conversation should be completely trustworthy. Your conversation as a disciple of Jesus should be trustworthy. See, out of that revelation of the presence of God, we recognize that trustworthiness Our trustworthiness depends on integrity. Integrity. Now here's what James 5 verse 12 says. James says, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. You've heard people say it, and I have too. They say, my word is my bond. A bond was given as a surety. So basically, they're saying, my word is my promise. My word is my pledge. My word, if I tell you I will be there, I will do my best to be there. I will do everything in my power to be there. Let your word be your bond, be your your, your promise, your oath, your pledge. Think about a believer's conversation. I mean, words coming from a a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of his. We call ourselves disciples of Christ. We We are his disciples. But those words coming from us, they should be spoken with truth. We as believers, above all people, ought to tell the truth. But sadly, many times we can't tell the difference in our speech and the world's speech. See, words coming from Christ's followers, they ought to convey kindness. 
They ought to be spoken with love, especially if we are giving instruction or if we are rebuking. Then we ought to be doing that in a spirit and an attitude and a motive of love. Not the ugliness that we see so often. I mean, how important is it to keep the promises we make to others? I mean, parents, if you promise your children something, you are taking an oath and failing to keep that promise is lying. I don't want to be known as a liar. When we speak the truth, I I get it. We all fall short of God's glory. But we need to own it when we fail. We need to say, you know what? That's on me. I failed to keep my promise. See, many state and national leaders, they speak of national integrity. They talk about that. They they run on those platforms. But then there's unfaithfulness to their own spouse at home. See, lying involves not telling all the truth or adding to the truth. And I want you to know something, that a little white lie is still a lie. We think, well, it may not hurt Anyone, how much is your integrity worth? Because God sees it. God is watching that. So I ask you to do this. Listen to yourself. Listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth every day. Make them words of truth. Make them honest words. Do your words reflect the conversation of the world or the conversation of a follower of Jesus Christ? We need to to look at that and we need to reflect on that. You see, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing for us to come together as a body and worship our Lord. But our individual sin affects the whole body. We think it's just on us, but it's not. It's on us. My sin, your sin, all of our sin is on us. Because we are the body of Christ. Our very actions of worship include oaths and vows. When parents come asking for their their baby to be dedicated... They make solemn vows, and so do we as a church. We vow that we will live a life becoming of the gospel so that this young one would see that example and want to be that. When we are baptized after coming to Christ... We make vows, we make commitments to our Lord. We're going to follow you. We're going to do in obedience what you tell us to do. We make that commitment of our life. That needs to be followed through on. When we come to the Lord's table, we're engaging in a great process of oath-taking. Because we do this 
until the Lord returns, we proclaim his death to the world. See, it's not oath-taking per se that Jesus opposes. Jesus is opposed to all of the vague, ambiguous speech When we say something, we make a promise and a commitment, and then we're vacillating back and forth. We're fudging in our heart. We're saying, well, nobody else will know that I've made that commitment. He's saying, don't do it. It would be better for you not to make the vow than to make the vow and not keep it. See, Jesus taught that our conversation should be so honest And our character so true that we wouldn't need an oath to persuade people to believe us. You should be able to give your word and that would be plenty. Bringing this in for a landing here. You know, Jesus is opposed to all sorts of speech. Because every word that we say, verbally or written, matters to God. Like when we know something to be true in our heart, but we speak something else. Or when our walk doesn't match up with our talk. See, those need to be together. What we profess needs to be how we live. And that's what he's talking about. See, this morning as we move towards a time of communion, a time of fellowship, I want to ask you to bow your heads with me, if you would. In 1 Corinthians 11, God's word says, but a man must examine himself, and in doing so he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we have judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. I want to ask you this morning, just in this time of quietness, in this time of reflection, just to examine your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. Using this time to confess any unconfessed sin that that may be in your life to the Lord. Asking Him to forgive us so that we might receive the Lord's Supper with integrity and oneness. I ask you to use this time to open your heart in obedience to the Holy Spirit.